Are there, are there any parents in the room? Any parents? Any parents in the room? Any parents here? Uh, specifically to the parents, I want to ask, um, why in the world is parenting so hard? I mean, if you don't amen anything all night, please let this be your moment. Why in the world is parenting so hard? Uh, our oldest just turned 10. We've got riffraff soon after that. And um, so I want to I try to hone in on a couple of the reasons why I think uh, parenting is very difficult. And I thought what would be appropriate um, you may deem inappropriate is the use of some memes, okay? So uh, let's, let's start here. I think this will help get us going. How do I put this? You will never sleep in again, um, <laughs> says, says the baby, right? And um, this morning, my seven-year-old at 2.30 in the morning is crawling into my bed, right? Taking my spot. And I'm too tired to deal with it, you know? And so I just go down to the couch. Have you been there before? You're just like, forget it. Like, you win. Like, just have my spot in the bed, right? It, it certainly does a big thing to sleep. Um, but, but parenting isn't hard just because of the lack of sleep. I think this uh, is helpful as well, okay? Uh, I don't know if you understand, Mom. I need light-up shoes so that I can run faster, right? And it's just like the, the, way, that, the way that our children justify the need of things and the reality is like we buy it right you're right you're right light up shoes are going to make you way faster you know I, I don't want you to feel left out or disenfranchised so here you go kid uh, how many of you guys feel like you're in a hostage negotiation at the checkout aisle of the grocery store you know what I'm saying and they intentionally do, uh, does the grocery store I mean they put all of the the children like you know stock of love right like right there you know, because it's like right at their height, you know, and you're like, no, you can't have that. No, you can't have that. How about this? How about this? And then eventually they wear you down, right? Sure, like have one of everything. I just don't even care anymore. Have you been there before? Okay, is this just me, right? My kids walk out with like 20 snicker bars sometimes, all right? Now, now if it's not this, if it's not the, the constant, you know, desire of something and the sense of entitlement, uh, maybe you've run into uh, this, um, um, you know, it's, it's just this, like, like, can it, can it just be simple, right? Like, I ask you to do something, and then you do it, right? Like, what, listen, let, let's just, let's think about a euphoric, you know, utopia kind of household, okay? And this will be crazy, I know, but where as a parent, you, you say something, and then you watch your children instantly obey. Like, can, can any of you even picture that on a consistent basis? Now, I know, I know some of you, you know, have model homes. and Your children have never disobeyed, said no one here ever, okay? Um, but the rest of us, the rest of us, like, you, you feel like that you're constantly in this battle with your children just to get them to obey. It's unbelievably frustrating, and uh, I know that, I know that many of you relate. Um, I want to I say it this way in a statement. Next slide. Let's, let's deal with this. Life would be so much simpler if children were quick to obey. So much simpler, right? If they would just listen the first time, then they wouldn't have to run out in the road 17 times before they realize that cars might hit them, right? Uh, then their, the room might be clean. Then they might pick up after themselves. Then they might... Yes, eat their vegetables, right? Like, whatever the case may be. A life would be unbelievably simple if our kids or children in general would just obey. Uh, but they don't often. They rebel. They go against uh, our desires. And uh, Joshua is a, a 90-year-old man, so he's certainly not a child in terms of age. But what we've been watching is this dude, who is now leading a nation of 1.5 to 2.5 million Israelites, is going to have every opportunity to respond to some of the commands that God has for him. And so just as a refresher of verse 1 to 9, where we've been our last two weeks in our new study of Joshua, I want to walk through so far, just in nine verses, 
what the commands from God to Joshua have been. So first he commanded him to arise and go over this Jordan. We saw that early in verse 2. The Jordan River being this, uh, this separation of what seemed to be the promised land and what wasn't. He says, get up, go, Joshua, it's time to roll. The second command that we saw came in verse 6, 7, and 9. We studied this last week. God commands and even says it that way in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. And I hope you were encouraged with where we ended last week. The thought isn't that somehow we pull up our bootstraps or work or fight harder. We get to rest in the strength of the Lord and the strength of his might, Ephesians 6.10 says. Beautiful text. Then we saw this command for Joshua, be careful to follow the law. And I love the language, be careful. Take great attention to follow every facet of the law. This is the law of Moses. This is the law that, that he had access to, uh, to Joshua at the moment. We saw this command as well. Uh, next slide. Uh, later in verse 7, that he wasn't, remember this from last week, to turn to the left or to the right. Well, we talked about the idea of a compass that to the left or to the right or behind are all danger zones for the believer, but the opportunity to keep our eyes focused on the prize, on the person of Christ, and continue to move forward, our eyes can rest there. He then commands Joshua to meditate on the book of the law day and night, like let this word become so entrenched in you. And again, this isn't some sort of new age, you know, meditation, close your eyes with incense sort of thing. It just, it's hang on the word of God. Then uh, God's uh, command uh, was to not be frightened or dismayed. All beautiful commands. But if the commands ended here, I think we would be left wondering. Uh, It's just like if our commands end with our children at barking out dictatorship orders, they seem quick to rebel. But it's as if if they see something in us as parents, uh, something in our character that shows our love and care and intentionality and desire to walk with them and to be gracious, etc. It's like if they can see something in us, it seems like the relationship can deepen. In other words, God just doesn't command Joshua. He also reveals a ton of promise through the first nine verses of Joshua. So next slide, let's look at the, the promises For Joshua so far. Number one, God said that every place that you put your foot, the sole of your foot, every place, it's going to be yours. Just as I promised, just as I told every patriarch, and we saw this promise. Uh, Next slide in verse five, no man shall stand against you. And this is huge for the book of Joshua because if you know what's coming, it's conquest, it's death, it's war, it's battle. And so Joshua's going into this with, listen, no one, no one will stand against you. We saw then this promise uh, from the first nine verses. Later in verse five, I will not leave you or forsake you, which I hope, you know, 50% of you tattooed that somewhere on your being just to remind you of the hope that we have in Christ. Will never leave us, will never forsake us. Did anyone actually tap that just so we can take, okay, no one, good. Um, The next uh, promise we saw that if you don't turn to your left or your right, you will have good success. And again, this wasn't some sort of prosperity gospel-ish success. It's the success that God has laid out in the conquest for the promised land. And finally, we see uh, this promise. The Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Joshua has all these commands, and he has all these promises. So now the question is, what will he do? God has been crystal clear. Here's exactly what I'm commanding, and here's exactly what I'm promising. And so tonight, we get to see his response. Let's start, my friends, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. We're going to finish the chapter. That's right. All of a sudden, our pace will quicken, which, you know, gives us hope that we'll be done by the end of the millennium here. Verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Well, first of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, We see the structure of communication for the nation of Israel. There's a structure that's laid in place uh, by God through Moses on how they're going to get this communication out to the hundreds of thousands of people. And so in this case, Joshua's going to use the officer rank to spread the message. 
But I'm unbelievably, unbelievably obsessed with the words, and Joshua. Uh, Here's why. Because every single one of us, when it comes to the commands of Christ, we're looking at the precise segment of vocabulary that is for every single one of us. And you fill in the blank. God commands you, and then mark dot, dot, dot. He did this. He did that. He moved this way. He went that way. Today, every single one of us have sat in Christ under the gifts of the commands of the Lord. And every single one of us already today have already shown all over the place. And then your response to that command was dot, dot, dot. I love the fact that the scripture records in verse 10 and Joshua commanded the officers. Uh, it, it seems that Joshua is ready. It seems so far that he is desiring to trust. It seems so far that, that even against what would seem like all odds, that he's willing to say, yes, Lord, it seems that way. So let's keep working through this and see how it fleshes out. Here's what he says in verse 11. Telling the officers to command the people. Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Prepare your provisions for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And I see three days and instantly one of my gravest sins rises to the surface and that's Seriously, more time, God. They were in slavery for 400 years. They've been in the wilderness for 40. People, a whole generation, are dying off. And now God extends it three more days. They're like right there on on the precipice of the promised land. And like there's something in me that's just like, seriously, God, three more days. And then I went to Starbucks last week. Oh, my goodness. First of all, I hate coffee. Many of you guys know that. I'm sorry. I know many of you um, are addicted to that, okay? And after the gathering here, we're going to pray for you together, so feel free to come and join us. How many just are willing to admit it, okay? You're addicted to coffee. Come on, just admit it. Just own your sin. Okay, there we go, all of you. I I know what you're getting ready to say. I know what you're getting ready to say. You're like, but Mark, your thing is Diet Coke. Listen, the Lord's doing a work in me, okay? Seriously, all right? The last three weeks, I've only had like four Diet Cokes, okay? I've, I've like been drinking water. It is the lamest thing ever, but I'm trying, okay? I'm trying, all right? Anyway, I went to Starbucks getting some coffee for some friends. And I pulled into the, to the line, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, are there this many people that need coffee right now, right? And, and the, here's the thing. It's not like a McDonald's drive through Okay? You go to a good McDonald's, I mean, you're through that line in 25 seconds. Time them next time. It makes you wonder about the food, certainly, right? Like, how could they prepare that so fast? I'm sure it was fresh, right? Like, cut right off the hog, you know, like. So I'm sitting there in line, and I feel like I'm moving like like a spot every three minutes, you know? And everything in me is just rising, right? I'm, who pays for this? Like, are you kidding me? You know, I, I know, I know. I know I struggle with patience, okay? I know I do. It's a sin of mine. Um, I see three more days. I see make provisions. Listen, manna is still falling from heaven to feed them. Maybe, you, maybe you've forgotten this, okay? A few chapters from now, we're going to see the manna cease. But as for right now, manna is still falling from the heavens to feed them. So God's like, hey, uh, so make provisions, and we're going to make this, John, three, you know, three days. And, and maybe he's talking about some sort of, you know, timeline of how long it's going to take to pass. There are all kinds of pieces here. Uh, but I wonder if one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given us is the opportunity, next slide, to lay this down. Every single one of us have the ideal timeline in our minds. Right, uh, You would fill in the blanks here with the precise time that you think this should go and that should happen. 
and this relationship should advance, and then marriage, and children, and house, and whatever, whatever your ideal timeline is. I'm wondering if one of the greatest gifts that God has given us is the opportunity to lay down our timeline. I'm wondering if one of the greatest opportunities he's given us is to say, I've given you my word to show you that things work on my timeline and you can either trust that and celebrate that and sit in the joy of that or you can spend your entire life fighting that. And I know full well, some of you feel like you're fighting that today. You're like, but, but God, like, like why in the world has this not happened yet? I thought you told me that one day when I opened up the Proverbs 29 that when I was 29 years old, this was going to be the case. Right? Like that's what we do. Right? Like all of a sudden we're reading in Matthew 4 and we're like, oh yes, we're going to have four children and the first one we will name Matthew, right? And then you turn a few pages and the second one we will name Mark, you know? And then, and then, you, and then you get all twitter pated when the first one that comes out is a girl and you're like, God, I'm confused. Matthew, should we go with it? I'm not sure, right? Like, listen. What if one of our greatest gifts, one of our greatest joys is if we lay down our ideas of a timeline and we believe that God dreams visions for us, for his glory, far beyond what we can even comprehend. Listen, these Israelites, there is not one of them that would have scripted it in the way that it has gone. 400 years of slavery, check. 40 years in the wilderness, check. That, that worked out well. And now three, there's, not, no, there's no one that would script it like that. But God is keeping his promises. God is working this out in his time. And what Colossians chapter 1 says in the old Sunday school song affirms, he holds everything together. And he's got the whole world in his hand. What if tonight, what if you and I, this is one of my gravest sins, I know this. What if we laid down our desire to hold the timeline so closely and just said, have your way, Lord. Have your way. Joshua's just getting going in his speech to the officers, to share, to the people. Look at verse 12 and 13. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, we're going to explain that here in a second, okay? Where is this coming from? Joshua said, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, okay? Saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Now he brings up three names, which we have to explain uh, just a skosh. In the, uh, the back end of Genesis, uh, beginning at the patriarch, beginning of Abraham, uh, we see this, this system of promise, of covenant. That God begins with Abraham and then gives it to his son Isaac, who then gives it to his son Jacob. Well, Jacob has a, a very strong lineage. And that lineage of Jacob ends up becoming the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what happens now is Joshua begins to address some of the tribes of Israel. We're going to explain why here in a second. Just to show you how this fleshes out, look at this, uh, look at this uh, next slide. Okay, this is how uh, from Abraham to Isaac, and then we see Jacob, uh, Jacob Esau, things didn't go so well for him. But then we see these 12, these 12 tribes of Israel, okay? So when he says the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, he's, he's referencing uh, some of these uh, tribes of Israel. And some of you are like, but I don't see Manasseh up there. Well, uh, what happened is Joseph uh, had some children that were then taken in, okay, by Jacob. And so they form essentially some, uh, some if you will, sub-tribes, okay? So let's keep going uh, at, this, uh, at verse 12 and 13 again because I want to show you the power of this. Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of, and what's the word there? Rest. Now, I'm wondering how you would hear this if you saw the generation before you die off, if you know that in your timeline is 400 years of slavery, I'm wondering how you would hear that God's going to provide you a place of rest. I think a lot of times believers think that when God promises rest, 
in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. Or when God talks about the eternal rest that we have in Hebrews 4. I think we associate rest with lethargy and laziness. Like we instantly think of, okay, sweet, so, so God's going to bring us to this land. And then it's like, you know, Hawaiian, you know, tropic umbrellas and, and virgin Israelite pina coladas. And, you know, we're just going to kick back and enjoy, right? It's going to be a cakewalk. It's just, it's just a full-on, forever until we die, kind of vacation. But the rest of the Lord is talking about here, the rest of the Lord is talking about in Matthew 11, is this you are no longer enslaved. And the peace that comes from not being enslaved is the power of what Jesus says, as we just sang, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I will give you a way out of being enslaved to your sin and to yourself. So he says, does Joshua to these people, I'm going to give you this land coming from the mouth of God, and this land will give you rest. Crazy awesome. And then he continues speaking to these tribes. Look at verse 14 and 15. Now we'll understand why. Your wives, hide your kids, hide your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. Whoa, hold on a second. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Okay, pause for a second. Asterisk, we find out later there's 40,000 of these men that end up passing in this case, but there's still something weird going on here. Look at verse 15. I think this will explain. Okay, they're going to pass them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he is paid to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. What in the world is going on here? I want to show you. Cue the map. Check this out. This is difficult to read, I understand, okay? But if you're looking at this map, which is the layout of the 12 tribes of Israel and ultimately how the promised land laid out, I want you to notice something very, very, very interesting. It may be hard to see right now, so let me add a red box around a very pertinent body of water. Does anyone know what that body of water is? It is the Jordan River. Well, now all of a sudden you step back, you're like, I problema, right? I thought they had to cross the Jordan to get said promised land. So why are there like cute color boxes around, you know, some of the, some of the nation of Israel, some of these tribes? Now do you notice what the tribes are that are, that are colored? You got, can you guys see that, those who are in front right here? What's the green? Those of you guys right there. What's the green? You read that? Manasseh. You guys see what's in the orange there? Come on. Gad, this is, you know, easiest vocabulary word ever. You guys are college students, I think, right? And then you have Reuben. So why, why are there two and a half tribes? Because Manasseh was split in two. Why are there two and a half tribes on this side of the Jordan? Cue the next slide. I think we're going to find out. Check this out. Numbers 32. Then they came near to him. They came near to Moses, these tribes. And they said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock. And cities for our little ones, but we will take up arms, which, you know, is a creative way of saying military formation. We're going to like, you know, we're going to go to combat. Some of you just think they're like talking about their physical arms, okay? But we will take up arms, ready to go before the people of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones shall live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land, we will not return to our homes until each of the people of Israel has gained his inheritance. Well, what happens is, is these tribes come to Moses and they're like, look, we want to settle right here. Pre-Jordan, if you will, okay? But they say, we're going to go to bat. We find out later, 40,000 of them do. We're going to go to bat across the Jordan, help the rest of the tribes until they find their rest as well. But we're going to settle right here. Now, this brings up a massive, massive, massive point 
that I think if we miss, and again, I would say it would be easy to do that, we miss the beauty of what's happening right here. Oh, check this out. Next slide. You see, if I'm one of these two and a half tribes, I'm thinking to myself, like, I'm done. I'm exhausted. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm tapped out. There, there's no possible way I can get my family set up finally, finally, 440 plus years where my family, my family's family, and all the generations before, we've been moving immobile and enslaved. And then we get to this place. There is no possible way I'm then going to say, hey, sons and daughters, I'm going to go put my life on the line and continue the chaos that we've lived in. No, I've paid my dues. I'm done. I don't need to spend one more day in chaos. This statement is attempting to murder the body of Christ. A gluttonous Christianity that is seemingly built on the thought that once we get to this point, we've paid our dues. We've served. We're done serving. We've given all we got. Like, there's no more to give. And then we think somehow that once we've paid our dues, that we, here's the term we hear, that we then settle in to just the American Christianity pattern, the rhythm of consumption, the life of comfort, and the pursuit of all that will make me happy. I paid my dues. Are you kidding me? I went on that mission trip last week. This week, I could just take a little bit of a break from the Lord. Let's get, let's, get, let's get super real for a second, can we? I've confessed this before. Thankfully, the Lord's doing a work in my heart on this issue. I've shared before that as much as we communicate and preach here that our, our gospel is in Christ alone and not works, uh, there was still this mentality in me that food was a reward. I've shared this before. And so what would happen is, and I know we, we joke about it, but what would happen is, is after Wednesday nights, late, I don't eat dinner, okay, is I get home 11, 30, 12, and I would have a tombstone pizza, okay? Now, there's nothing inherently sinful about tombstone. In fact, it's actually righteous and beautiful. I think we'd all agree, right? There's something about that sweet sauce, right, that feels like nectar dripping down from the Lord. But every once in a while, what I would notice in my heart is that I would be thinking that this pizza was a reward for what I had done. Do you guys understand how unbelievably sinful that is? I paid my dues, God. So how about a tombstone pizza? Me and you, Jesus, right? All night long. Right? And I mean, and listen, I wouldn't just have two or three pieces. Right? Like, I was ashamed of myself if I didn't finish her off. Okay? Because, again, this was a gift from the Lord. You know, the problem wasn't the pizza, the problem wasn't the timing, the problem was in my heart I thought I had paid my dues. But thankfully, the Lord is weaning my heart off of this sort of system and rhythm, not just of pizza, but just in general. But I'm telling you right now, for many of you, this is still gripping you. I'm done. I don't need a disciple. I've paid my dues. I don't need to give. I've, I'm, I'm paid up. Listen, it's not about the debt that we owe, it's thankfully the debt that has been paid. The one that you couldn't pay. And now the one that you and I get to respond to. He has paid the debt. And so now we're freed from ever paying up our dues. And we're released now to worship because of what he's done. So 60, 70, 80 year olds, 80 year olds in the room, listen. There will never be a point where you've paid your dues. Serve the Lord until the day he calls you home with reckless abandonment. Go for it. Keep discipling. Keep investing. Keep pouring in out of the joy of the Lord that's your strength. Listen, you 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds that, you know, are just coming off of whatever, massive excursions for the Lord, and, and now you want to, as I hear, I want to just take a semester off from the Lord. What are you talking about? Take a semester off from the Lord. 
Just deny his kingship and then you can already predict when you're going to turn it around? Listen, we get to tonight repent from this gluttonous way and say, God, we're thankful that you've paid our debt. Now we can respond to that debt that's been paid. Beautiful stuff. So these people are like, look, we're going we're gonna to go. We're going to fight. We've been in 440 years of transition. We're going to set up camp, and then we're going to go take up arms, 40,000 of us, with all the rest of our brothers and sisters. We're going to serve them. We're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to take on whatever happens. Beautiful stuff. And here's their response. Verse 16. Check this out. This is peculiar. And they answered Joshua. And I love when the scripture says, and they, because you're like trying to picture, like, are they saying this in unison and like harmony as one accord, right? Like, that all of a sudden they're like, ta-ta-ta, you know, and like the conductor, you know, so like, what is this? Is it a consensus? And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, We will go. Bearing in mind that their generation before them, that was not their mantra. Uh, So Moses, here's our plan. Um, God's going to let us walk through the sea, and then we're going to get on the other side, and then we're really going to start complaining because we don't have any water or food. And and then, by the way, once uh, once food and water are provided, uh, we're then going to complain that it's monotonous. You know, that we don't have steak and potatoes every night, that it's manna again. Are you kidding me? In the desert? Year after year after year of disobedience. But this generation, this generation says, listen, wherever, wherever you go, we're going to go. Whatever, wherever you say to go, we're going to do it. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, this generation, so we will obey you. And here's their commissioning. I love this. Only may the Lord your God be with you. And check this out. Are there, is there anyone in your life that you're just like, the Lord is with them? Come on. And then you start thinking about your criteria of what that looks like. I hear that kind of language when people are talking about others. Man, the Lord just has his hand on them. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean they can like, like see some, some sort of like image of God's hand on their shoulder? Like, well, what does that mean? You know, the only thing that I can surmise is when, when I've said that. When I've said, God is with you, you're... You're a man or woman of the Lord. What I'm talking about is the the joy of the Lord is abounding in you. The fruit of the Lord is clear. It seems like you're listening to his direction. Oh, to have that said about you from others, not because of approval, but because it's true. The Lord is with you. The Lord is behind you. The Lord is in front of you. That person is a person, a man or woman of the Lord. I love the fact that the people communicate this about Moses and they're pleading that this would be the reality for Joshua. Well, thankfully, like any good text, uh, it ends with uh, a little bit of an asterisk. Check this out. Next slide. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whoever, uh, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Again, so you're like picturing this chorus, right? We will obey you wherever you go. You know, we pray the Lord is with you just like Moses and whoever doesn't, he gone. He dead. Whoever disobeys, whoever steps against, whoever bucks the system shall be put to death. It makes obedience a life and death issue. step back from that statement and we're forced to wrestle with, is that our reality? Now, certainly, certainly, praise the Lord for grace, right? Praise the Lord. Thank you, God, that in our failures, your grace is sufficient. Thank you, God. Could you imagine just going to a system that was like this? Anyone who disobeys, dead. Dead. We're going to see some death from disobedience coming. But could you imagine this, this sort of system? Like, I, I feel like most of us would just be like, okay, just, just like put me in a padded room somewhere, right, with no phone, no like anything, and I'm just going to sit there and just like blast worship, and you, like, like that kind of system. It's so hard to even understand what it would look like to exist in it. 
the truth of the matter is that even under grace, when obedience becomes life and death, it changes our perspective. Let me show you what I mean. Next slide. Look at this. I think Joshua has options. He's heard the commands. He's heard the promises. They're lengthy. And he has now options of how he is going to respond. Option one for Joshua is this. He could have been overcome with fear and doubt. He's 90 years old. He's lived enough life. And all of a sudden, all of the fears that are populating through his mind. And and I'm sure the temptation was there were many. And as they're populating, as they're cycling through, as it's like a Rolodex of fear, which I know some of you relate to and understand. He could have been so overwhelmed by that, so overcome by that, that it just crippled his action. He could not move. He could not arise and go to the other side of the Jordan because fear had latched so strongly onto him and put a noose around his neck that was pulling him back. It was an option. Doubts. Those promises aren't true. God isn't with me. It's what Adam and Eve struggled with. Did God really say, says Satan? He could have been overcome by that. Next slide. This could have been his reality as well. He, he could have believed, I'm not the right man for the job. Hello, somebody. Right? He's like looking at all the commands. Just imagine this. And then he looks back at all of those people. Children, babies, animals. He's like feeling the weight of leading all of them. And then he looks at himself. I don't know why you want me, God. Why do you want to do that with me? Like, like I'm, look, I'm, here's like six people right here. Form a committee. Their gift sets will, will complement each other. Good to go, Okay. In fact, like, this guy was pretty close to Moses, too, so we'll call it good, pound it, everyone's happy, right? Like, I'm not the man for the job. It's not me. What's starting to happen is some of you are starting to understand the piercing reality of when obedience is life and death. I'm not the right man for the job. Can't do it. Another one of his options maybe it wasn't fear. Maybe he wasn't going to wrestle with his own calling and giftedness. He had an option just to flat out turn his back on God and say, I am done. I'm done with you. I'm done with these people. I'm done with this pressure. Forget it. I don't want this kind of life anymore. And he turns his back on God and the Jordan River and walks through the crowds of people, and everyone's like, where's he going? I thought he was leading this. Like, well, well, like, what's the deal, Joshua? Don't worry about it. Isolation. Get me away from this. Put me on an island, and then I'll be more happy. All those were his options. He has another one as well. He could have simply said, yes, Lord. Your commands are overwhelming. I don't feel capable of following these commands. Your promises come alongside those commands and breathe on them. And so, yes, Lord. I've got, this is from Joshua's perspective, I've got a million question marks. None of this has already gone how I would have filled in the timeline. I mean, I've, I, God, I've got question marks everywhere, but, 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 I trust you. I want to flip the script a little bit. Let's say it this way. After hearing the commands and promises from God, you can. Not Joshua. You. 
You can be overrun and overcome by fear and doubt. You can find yourself, like often happens, I'm not the person for the job. And many of you have felt that way just following the general calls of the Lord. And what I mean by that is God has general commands that are for every believer, and then he has specifics that once in a while he lays out for his followers. But for many of you, in reference to the command in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples, which, by the way, then Jesus promises the disciples, I will be what? With you to the very end of the age. Many of you, in reading that command, have said, I am not the man or the woman for the job. I'm not it for the task. That's not me. Still others of you, complete rebellion. Complete, knowing, willful, back turn to the Lord. I want nothing to do with you. I'm done. I'm done with these people. I'm tired. I've paid my dues. If I haven't earned my salvation yet, then I don't know what will. So I'm out of here. Now, when it's convenient for you every once in a while... You step back into it to, to give you that semblance of, well, maybe, maybe God can still approve of me if my goods outweigh the bads every once in a while. And if that be your heart, listen, can, I, can you please hear the beauty of the gospel again? It is the truth of Christ and the person of Christ that has saved you. It is not and will never be your merits or works that you'll be able to put on the table of the Lord and say, look what I've done. He will consistently, does God, be pointing to his son and saying, no, 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 you don't understand. He already has done. And so then there are still others of you that will just simply say yes. And I know for some of you, you're like, well, this happens to me every, every single day, like all four of these. So I want to get practical, okay? Let's keep going down this line. Next slide. How about this example from Matthew 6? This is a command. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Okay, so really, really easy, okay? Right? No problem. Nailed it. Continue to nail it. This is in Matthew 6. In my Bible, it's the red letters. Straight from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now look what he goes on to say. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. You guys ready for the promise? Look at this. Look at the birds of the air. They neither saw nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at the promise here. Are you not of more value than they? I know this bothers some of you who really appreciate pets, but I'm just saying this is straight from the Scripture. Okay. And which of you, by being anxious, somebody can add a single hour to his span of life? What a brilliant question from the Lord. And so, here's where we're at right now. We can look at this. Fear and doubt. There's no way I can live a non-anxious life. And you know what we start doing? We start but-godding. But God, you don't, you don't understand. And we show them our resume, Right? But God, I mean, look, look at all, look at all that, are, that is coming against me right now. There's like 17 things that a normal person isn't enduring, and I'm having to go through all 17. But God, there, there is no way that that text is for me. But God, everyone else is struggling with, with this, so like, like how can I live in victory? But God, but God, but God, but God. And, and Jesus knowing that people's hearts would, again, 2,000 years ago, hear this and be rattled by it, and that we would see this and be rattled by it. Later in the text, next slide, he says this. 
But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Commands and promises, commands and promises, commands and promises. The entire scripture is filled with commands that are wrapped like Christmas presents and promises that are fueling. Not our desire to muster through them, but our understanding that God has empowered us to follow him. He's given us a spirit. He's overwhelmed us with a truth and reality that can shape every single second of every single day. Remember when I asked you guys this? Next slide. (laughs) Come on. There's this like little text in the scripture that, that communicates this truth. Check this out. Next slide. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called, what's the word? Children of God. And so we are. Life would be so simple if we, through the Holy Spirit empowering us, could obey Christ. I want us right now to open our eyes. You guys remember those moments where your parents were like, listen, if you would have listened to me back there, all of this wouldn't, wouldn't have happened. You guys remember those moments? You wanted to kind of punch your parents in the face because they were saying, I told you so. Do you understand if through the Holy Spirit we rest in his ability to take away our anxiety as we release our timeline to him and trust that he's in control, how much regret and remorse will just be gone out of our life. Do do we understand that? Listen, do you understand what's happening every single time you look at pornography? And a good dad is saying, listen, it is no way to live sexually immoral. There, There is so much beauty and purity. And I know there's doubt and fear and the obedience. And, and I, know, I know that right now some of you are just rebelling in that way. You're just like, yeah, I'm just done. I'm done. I've paid my dues. This, this is my reward. There is so much beauty in obeying the Lord. For whatever reason, in our culture, it has come with like this understanding of, of submission to a king that's a dictator instead of submission to a father that is good and has saved us and called us his kids. I know for sure tonight there are pieces of your life, general commands of the scripture, or maybe very specific things where you've been answering a certain way as God has called, but I'm wondering if right now God would overwhelm this room, not with a, oh, I must try hard now to obey, but God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, guide me in obedience. God, take away my doubts. God, help me believe that I don't need to be fearful if you've called me to do the job, that if you've called me to do it, you're already going to empower me to follow through. I'm not resting in me, I'm resting in you. What if tonight we didn't run away from obedience like like it was some sort of plague that was going to hang us down in legalism, but instead we said, God, thank you for the opportunity to obey you. And in so doing, be protected by a good father who says, trust me. Trust me. Let's stand together. Come on. So, um, I was picturing this moment earlier and what I had pictured in my mind and I just want to share it with you now is that for those that were willing that you just put out your hands. I'm not saying right now but at some point if and when you 
You're just saying like, Lord, here. And maybe even in some of that are specific things that you begin to pray through and name. Lord, here. I've been rebelling against you. Lord, here. Help me, guide me. Help me trust you. I've been fearful of how this would go. I, here, God. I'm wondering tonight, listen, think about the beauty of this. It's person after person after person just saying, here, Lord. Have your way with me. Carry out your timeline. God, help me trust you. You see it in your mind? Like, can you see it already? The freedom that would come in this room. The protection of a good father that would say, you don't have to spend one more day rebelling from me. You can rest in my arms that have called you my child. So I want to pray over us. And we're going to respond in worship. And some of you will need to go to like a corner of the room. And some of you maybe will gather with friends and you'll just say, here. Some of you will repent maybe uh, with uh, sharing something in the ears of your friends where, uh, that are sitting maybe in the same row. You just have to share this with them, whatever. Just let's give it to him tonight. Hear, Lord. Hear, Lord. So, Father, throughout this room, we give you our fears we lay down our doubts. God, we have questioned your callings. Please forgive us. Forgive us for showing you the things you already know. Forgive us, God, for going to war with you in, in ways that you have called us. God, please forgive us. Will you take these burdens from us? Will you shape our picture of obedience in such a beautiful, life-giving way? And tonight, God, as we give these things to you, as we submit to your way, I pray that freedom overtakes this room like never before. Like never before. Bring freedom here tonight, God. We rest in you, the arms of Christ.